If you have your Bibles, please open to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, you know, we've been talking about prayer. And uh, this is a, a somewhat of a, a popular section of Scripture. That is, it became well known through a marketing campaign a few years ago. Uh, but it's actually a very wonderful passage. And uh, we're going to be reading about Jabez, the prayer of Jabez, or Yabetz, is how you'd say that in Hebrew. And we're reading in verses 9 and 10. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we look to your word, we pray that you would quicken us and enliven us by your Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and minds to your word and give us understanding, that you would write your word in our hearts and minds by the operation of your Holy Spirit according to your promise. And we pray, Lord, that you would open your word to our hearts and minds. And so, Lord, we thank you and we ask you to bless us. We pray that you would teach us and instruct us that we might learn more and better how we ought to pray to you and what is acceptable prayer and prayer that you will hear and also Lord that we would learn of you and who you are and what you have done for us and are doing for us and shall do for us so bless us now Lord as we look into your word and Father I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior Amen Amen a few years ago, I was reading through my Bible, and I came across the prayer of Jabez. I read Chronicles several times before, but that time, this leaped out, and I was amazed. And I thought, what an awesome passage of Scripture. So I got my books out, got my Hebrew out, and my dictionaries, and exegeted it, wrote it out, figured out what the Hebrew was, and um, translated it, and just saw what a good instruction this is. And then later that week, I went to the Christian bookstore and I noticed there was a coffee mug that said, The Prayer of Jabez. And I thought, what is this? And then I saw there were uh, tapestries, The Prayer of Jabez, something on it. And then I noticed there were little coins you could get with The Prayer of Jabez on it. And then I saw that there was, uh, that same day, that there was a book called The Prayer of Jabez. So I looked through it and it seemed to be somewhat okay. Uh, a little bit what do we call them, the name it and claim it idea that if you you know if you know how to pray correctly you can get God to do things. Uh, that's not what prayer is actually. Um, God is a God who hears prayer. But anyway, not everything was bad about you know the book by I believe uh, Wilkerson is the gentleman that wrote it. It's it's not a bad book, but uh, I've heard some pretty sharp criticism of it. But what I've read yeah, that that day and since then. Uh, I didn't consider it to be poison. You may have a different opinion of the book. Uh, But I was thankful to the Lord that the Lord let me find this verse before the marketing campaign came across my path. So I didn't view this as uh, like Sheldon's book, uh, In His Steps. Remember the the marketing campaign that was a few years before that was, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, uh, what was it, WWJD? And 
before that, there was something else. I'm not, we don't have a large Christian bookstore now in town, so I'm not up on the latest marketing fads. But about once a year, every two years, they come up with some new marketing device to sell coffee mugs and pendants and scarves and tapestries, etc., etc. Uh, and I suppose it keeps the Christian artist uh, employed. Uh, and it's not all bad. Sometimes they, they, they're, you know, focused on scripture. But there is that marketing aspect of it. And like I say, I was very glad that I, I stumbled across this by God's mercies and grace before I was uh, jaded, you might say, by the marketing campaign. Being kind of a ne- uh, neo-Puritan, you know, sourpuss, stuff like that doesn't usually appeal to me. So I'm glad I was able to exegete this and go, oh, this is just awesome and uh, reading it without necessarily all the marketing interpretation. Having said that, that was a little personal testimony, which, you know, don't know if you needed to hear that, but I wanted to let you know this passage is dear to me, and I hope it's dear to you also. Great instruction is given here. We find this man Jabez. If we were to look up every place in the Bible where Jabez is mentioned, we've just read it. Okay, he, He's like Melchizedek, kind of comes out of nowhere. We're not told, actually we're not even told who his father was. He's listed uh, when the writer of First Chronicles, probably Ezra, uh, is talking about the tribe of Judah. And so it's generally understood Jabez is of that tribe. And when it also we're introduced that we know a few things about him. One, he had a mother. We know what she said. We know his birth was painful. We also know he had brothers. We know also he was an honorable man. And we find here that he was a praying man. And he was a man who prayed and a man whose prayer God heard. And we're told that specifically at the end of verse 10. So we would do well to study Jabez and find out what do we learn about this, this young man. And I believe at the time he wrote, he probably, this was written about him, he was probably a young man um, and serving God. Very much aware of God's promises to Israel. Very much of his covenant relationship with God because we're told not simply that he prayed, which would have been great to, to read. We would have had to draw some lines. Say, well, obviously he prayed to the true God. And we're not simply just told that he prayed to God, but we're told he prayed to the God of Israel. He prayed to the covenant-keeping God who had entered into a covenant of redemption and salvation with his people. And his promises according to what he had told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and had delivered the people. And this seems that Jabez probably prayed this prayer sometime after Israel was in the land, and they were still conquering it. Uh, they were still driving out the Canaanites. You know, God had said the Canaanites had sinned, that their sins had become full, and that they were to be destroyed. God gave them over to judgment. And he sent the hornet before the Israelites to drive out the Canaanites and the uh, Gergeshites and the Jebusites and all the other sites that were there. But um, here we see Jabez prays, and he's praying according to the will of God. So what do we learn here? Well, we find first that, oh, by the way, there is one other place where the word Jabez appears, and that's over in chapter 2 at verse 55, where it simply makes reference um, to the uh, scribes. It says in verse 55 of chapter 2, And the families of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez were the Terathites and the Shimeathites and the Shukathites. These were the Kenites who came from Hamath, 
the father of the house of Rahab. And so we, we read of this city, and many believe that, that quite clearly Jabez's territory had been enlarged. The town that he lived in took on his name. Uh, it's an unusual name. It's based on the experience his mother had when he was born. She said he caused pain. The, uh, the name Jabez is the word pain, but with the last two consonants switched. Yatsav is how you say pain. Yatsav. And the, 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 the Yatsav, if you want to make it a hard B, uh, the B was transposed. His mother switched it around a little bit for either uh, not wanting to put the actual name of pain and sorrow on her little baby. Uh, but nevertheless, she told him what it meant and how he got his name. So we're told here, as we read the passage, that the first thing we're told is that he was more honorable than his brothers. The word honor is a beautiful word. You know, when it says, honor your father and your mother, that your days will be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, it's the same word that's used here, honor. It's the word kavod, which in Hebrew is glory often. You know, and as I've mentioned before, we don't... Um, you know, praise and worship our parents. Some cultures do have ancestral worship, but we do honor our fathers and our mothers. And that honor means that we consider them to be substantial. The word kavod, the root meaning of kavod is heavy. That means we treat our parents as people of substance. Uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago that we don't treat our parents lightly. See, there's the English idea or the use borrowing on the Hebrew. We have that same concept in our own language. We say, don't treat your parents lightly. Treat them as people who are important. Well, the Hebrew word uh, for, you know, honor or glory is this word kavod. And we're told that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. We're not told that his brothers had no honor. They were honorable men, undoubtedly. These were men in covenant. That first generation under Joshua was a generation that obeyed God. They did what the Lord said. They went in, they conquered the land. They weren't sinless, but they obeyed the Lord by His grace. Later on, you get into the book of Judges, you find that not every Israelite was obedient. In those days, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So even though the time is not nailed down specifically when Jabez was on this earth... It seemed by his prayer and the, the, what we're told about him that it was during the period of conquest under, in, probably within the lifetime of Joshua. seems to fit in the overall context of the other names that are mentioned there also. So first we're told he was honorable. Then we're told why and certain things about him. Now we're told his mother called his name uh, his mother called his name Jabez. Yabetz. And then we're told why. Uh, because she says, I bore him in pain. You know, and I thought about this. Well, what, what was his mother doing? Why did she say this? And apparently this was something he was told uh, because his prayer does reflect that. He prays that he would not cause pain or literally that, that uh, it wouldn't happen, that his pain wouldn't happen, either pain that he caused or pain that would come to him. And at the end there in verse 10, and I thought, well... I suppose parents do sometimes tell their children, you know, you were an awful lot of trouble in your youth. Uh, some, unfortunately, some of us look back and have to go, yeah, probably was. But his mother pointed out that when she gave birth to him, and that's the idea there, she, when she says, I brought him forth, it's the, 
general Hebrew word that's used for giving birth, yeled, and uh, uh, she said, I, I gave birth to him with pain. Otsev is the, uh, the word there, Otsev, and she switched the two last consonants and became uh, Yabetz. Uh, and so that's what she called him. So she either was letting him know that he was an awful lot of trouble and reminded him of that. And there are sometimes people in our lives that, that do that. It's not always bad that they remind us. Uh, but this was just when he was being born. It's not as if he was responsible himself for her pain, but she mentioned it. There's also another thing, and we need to realize this was a godly man, and usually when mothers are mentioned in the Bible, more often than not, particularly if the individual is godly, it's because of the influence their mother had on them. And so her telling him, or just saying, calling his name Jabeth, and giving the reason, because I brought him, uh, I gave birth to him in pain, or I bore in pain, uh, it could be that this is a, a reminder to Jabez, or it was a reminder, that there was sin in the world. Because remember when Eve and Adam fell, what did God tell Eve? That she would have sorrow in childbirth. And so his mother wasn't necessarily just being uh, abusive and telling him, you know, you're just a lot of trouble, you're just a lot of pain. The more I, initially when I read this, I thought, wow, he kind of had an abusive mom there, and you know, uh, but he rose above it. Might be some truth in that, but I, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I think his mother was probably a very godly woman, and she let him know, you came into this world with a lot of pain. I bore you in pain. That what God had told Eve had been fulfilled in his birth. And so I think that this is an indication that his mother didn't raise up her child with messianic illusions of himself thinking that oh you're, you're the guy man you're just so wonderful you've always just been such a perfect child she let him know you were born in pain you caused pain when you were born because in this world there is pain undoubtedly Jabez loved his mother you know if we look back in life and you know, we think of the people that we sometimes love the most are the people that we've treated the worst you know uh, I've often said families would be so much nicer if we just treated each other the way we treat common strangers when we're out in public. You know, we're polite, we're, we smile, we're gentle, we're genteel, I guess we could say. Uh, you know, we open doors for people, we say thank you, uh, but often in our own homes we treat each other with contempt. Uh, and, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, we take each other for granted, etc. So we would do well if we began to treat each other somewhat like strangers. Uh, in the area of politeness, courtesy. Uh, that's actually something that we are told to do in the Bible. We are told to be courteous. Jabez loved his mother, and so her words apparently did enter into his heart and mind. But not in such a way that was negative, because we're not told, you know, by the way, the, the, the two, the, both the places where it says she called his name, and then it says, and Jabez called upon the God of Israel, the word called there, it's the same word in Hebrew. His mother called him, or called his name, Jabez. His response to that was not to say, oh, mom, you know, quit picking on me, or something like that, or to blame his mother for any failures he might have had. You know, modern psychology is really good on that kind of stuff. Who's responsible for all your problems? Well, they like to say your parents. Uh, if you can understand this, the words I'm saying, remember, you're responsible for you. Whatever your background is, you have to take responsibility for where you are now. 
Well, Jabez did that. Like I say, whether his mother named him that because she couldn't get over the pain or because she was a godly woman giving him instruction, the response in Jabez's heart, and when we say gracious heart, we mean a heart that had been touched by God's grace, clearly, because Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father who has sent me draw him. And we see here this man in, in the context, clearly in truth, calling upon the God of Israel. So this was from a work of grace done in his heart. But he called his response to being told his name was pain, or play on the word for pain, his response was not to be bitter, not to be discouraged, not to be beat down. His response was to call upon the God of Israel. He took it to prayer. It's great, you know, if, if this was understood to be a negative thing that his mother had said to him. It's great if you can take the negative things that people say to you and use that as an occasion for prayer. David often in the Psalms goes because of his enemies slandering him rather than David saying, well, I'm going to get every one of them. There are some Psalms kind of like that in a few places, but, you know, the enemies of God. But David took their slanders and their persecution. He turned it into prayer. He went before God. He did it when Saul was persecuting him. He did it before battle. He would go to God. And so Jabez is of that same nature. Jabez, by the way, the man of the tribe of Judah, also the same as King David was. Uh, that tribe was to be the, the lead tribe in Israel in military aspects. And so here Jabez prays to the God of Israel. And what he says is, is wonderful. He says, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Now the Hebrew is literally, Oh, that blessing you would bless. It's the strongest way you can express something in Hebrew. Blessing being blessed. God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 verse 17. We would do well to turn there because I think Jabez was aware of this uh, promise that God had given to Abraham. In uh, Genesis chapter 22. I will read start at verse 16. And, and uh, the angel of the Lord, well 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. This is when Abraham was told to offer Isaac and he obeyed. But then the Lord stayed his hand at the last moment and said, No, you don't, don't have to do that. But he says this in verse 17. Blessing I will bless you. That's that same construction that Jabez makes reference to. Oh, that blessing you would bless me. God said, Blessing I will bless you and multiply multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice that was the promise that God gave to Abraham that your descendants will possess the gate of their enemies and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Jabez was aware of that. His prayer reflects God's promise to Abraham. So we're talking about praying according to the will of God. I believe Jabez was aware of God's word, clearly. And so he prays. Now, the form of this prayer, as has been pointed out by many commentators, is that this is in the form of a vow. Now, the English is, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. And that's a very good translation, by the way. 
But the Hebrew has a way of expressing that, that, oh, that you would bless me, is literally it's if, the Hebrew particle word, im. Im means if. Uh, if blessing you would bless me. If blessing you would bless me. So it, it, it seems like, well, what's the condition and what's the vow here? He says, oh, that you would bless me indeed, or if blessing you would bless me and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would help me from evil, that I may not cause pain, or literally that there be no pain, that there be no my pain. Some translations, the old King James says that I don't experience pain or that I have no, no sorrow or grief. Others, as the new King James say, no, it means that he wouldn't cause grief because of what his mother had told him about the circumstances of his birth. The Hebrew can actually bear either way. That just there be no pain in reference to me. That's what he's saying. That there be no, in reference to me, that there be no pain. That's literally what the Hebrew is saying. And so translators have to come down generally on one way or the other and say either that I don't cause any pain or that I don't experience any pain. But what the Hebrew is is just simply that if, if in re- that in reference to me there be no pain. And so the New King James translates it quite well. The Old King James does so also. And, but you say, well, it's different. Well, Hebrew is a very rich language. And, and uh, if you want to know which one it is, it's literally that in reference to me there be no pain. That's, that's what he said. Uh, but he calls on the God of Israel. And we, we see from his prayer here that it's in the form of a vow. Well, that's what he asked God to do. And someone said, well, then what's he vowing? The second part of the vow is always, if you will do this, then I will do this. But that I will do this part's not there. Well, some uh, have noted that, well, if you look at the uh, prayer of Jacob, or the vow of Jacob, it's in similar form, and that's in Genesis chapter 28. By the way, when we talk about prayers, we say there's prayer, there's supplication, there's intercession, there's thanksgiving, there's one other form of prayer that we haven't talked about, uh, but it comes up now, and that is a vow. A vow is a form of prayer. And the Bible says some really uh, important things about vows. Don't make them rashly. Don't promise to do things that you can't perform. You cannot vow to do something that is contrary to Scripture. Uh, remember Jephthah's vow when he told he prayed? He said, Lord, whatever comes out of my door, if you'll give me victory, whatever comes out of the door of my house when I first return, I will offer in sacrifice. And when he got home, his little daughter came out and was you know, so happy to see your dad. And then uh, we're told he kept his vow. So I said, well, did he, did he actually offer her as a burnt sacrifice? Well, he's listed in Hebrews as a godly man, so I would have to say no, he did not. But he did dedicate her. And from the context, from my understanding, is that he... Uh, had her live as a virgin. She was not uh, permitted to marry nor have children, which in Israel was a very sad thing, simply because uh, the idea of the promised Messiah and be fruitful and multiply and all that. But um, the point of me bringing this up is Jephthah's vow was extremely foolish. You know, you can't say that, well, whatever, you know, whatever comes out of my door, I'll offer in sacrifice to you. What are you thinking when you say that? You know, obviously he wasn't thinking of his daughter. He was thinking of something else. But again, a foolish vow. Don't vow foolish vows. The Bible says don't, don't make rash vows. Jesus simply said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Uh, you don't have to swear oaths and make vows. But in Genesis chapter 28, 
we find Jacob's vow. This is after he left home. His brother Esau wanted to kill him because he'd stolen the blessing. Actually, he bought the blessing from his brother. Uh, but using trickery, he got the blessing from his dad. And at verse 20, uh, well, we'll start at verse 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. This is Genesis 28, now verse 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God, literally. But the name of that place, of that city had been Luz, or Lutz, previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me. That's a very similar construction. That's that word, if. He's not saying, oh, that God would be with me. You could translate it that way. It wouldn't be wrong. But literally, it's if. Same thing as Jabez's prayer. Uh, here we see that we're told specifically he vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me. And this has both parts, so that's why we're here. If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Okay, that's the, the condition that he makes. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob makes a vow, and it has both parts. Well, Jabez's prayer is in the form of a vow. Why is the second part not there? Well, someone said it's implied. I'm persuaded that he didn't have to vow anything beyond that. He was asking God. His prayer does have the form of a vow, but it was already settled that the Lord would be Jabez's God and that he would serve him with all his heart and that he would obey him. Jabez didn't say, well, and then I'll do all this other stuff because God had already told the Israelites what they needed to do. What they were supposed to do was go in and conquer the land. In Joshua chapter 1, which undoubtedly Jabez knew this passage, in Joshua chapter 1, you know the very famous passage, you're familiar, when Moses had died and Joshua is now put in charge of the nation of Israel, probably a couple of million people we're talking about, the Lord speaks to him and says, we begin in verse 2 of Joshua 1, the Lord says, Moses my servant is dead, now therefore rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. That's plural, by the way. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So God had told them, through Joshua, what their territory was to be. Verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And there he's talking directly to Joshua, but the promise was given to those in covenant. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So any Israelite that was around this time understood God had reaffirmed his promise and said this is what he was going to do. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Note, he doesn't tell him, be brave so you can conquer. He says, be brave so that you can obey. Obedience takes courage. 
by the way, it takes courage because sometimes it looks like, well, if we do what God says, how do we know things are going to work out? That's where courage comes in. It's like, you know what? If God said it, it's going to happen. We can trust Him. He says, um, He says, Obey, observe to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was God's word to Joshua and to the men of that generation. And uh, Jabez is, I believe, one of those men that was aware of God's promises. So we have Jabez aware of Abraham's blessings. We have uh, the reiteration of the, of the promise given to Abraham, applied in the lifetime of uh, uh, Joshua. God heard prayer. You know, in uh, First Chronicles, if we're, the, the book we're in, if we turn a few pages, First Chronicles chapter 12, we come really down to the time of the life of King David a few hundred years later, but we're told in First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, as we're listening to the, the men that were there with, with David, we're told of the sons of Issachar, and then we're told about them. This was, you know, Issachar was a tribe in Israel. Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times. They understood the times they lived in. To know what Israel ought to do. That's a very important verse there, I believe. Um, although there are no unimportant verses in the Bible. Um, but here, for us, by way of application, the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times. Now this doesn't mean that they had their eschatological charts mapped out perfectly. It means they knew what God's promises were and how they applied to their generation. They had understanding of the times. They knew where they were living in history. They had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. They knew what God's people were supposed to do. Now we don't have a promise or a charge to go kill the Canaanites. We do have the great commission given in Scripture. In a very real sense, the promise given to Joshua was the great commission of his day. But we've been told to go into all the nations and make disciples. We're told to disciple the nations, Matthew 28. Go, or having gone, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, we have a word from God. We're told that we are to go and to disciple the nations. And that means every nation on earth needs to have the, not just the gospel preached among it, every, God, every nation needs to be brought under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel, through the building up of the church, uh, through dependence upon the Spirit of God. But let's go back now and finish this with looking at Jabez's prayer. He said, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, or if you will bless, blessing you will bless me. And he says, And enlarge my territory. This was a man who wasn't satisfied with where he was. Not because he was greedy, because he wasn't saying, Oh, Lord, make me rich. That's not in his prayer, is it? 
But he says, enlarge my territory. He knew God had told them they were to conquer the land. And it took a while. God had told them in, in Exodus uh, 23, verses 26 through 33, particularly verse 31, Exodus 23, 31, if you want to jot that down and look it up, that God would give them the land gradually so that it wouldn't just turn into a wilderness, but they'd be able to occupy it and it would take time. This is the same thing we've seen with the Great Commission. The nations have not yet been brought fully under the gospel. I believe they will be. Uh, Jesus didn't tell us that we can make the Great Commission optional. But here he says uh, that you would enlarge my territory. So he asked God first to bless him. He asked God to enlarge his territory. He had a biblical mandate to pray that. He's not just saying, make me rich, I want my neighbor's field. He's not doing anything foolish like that. God had said, you are to conquer this land. He's praying according to the will of God. And that's why God heard him. He said that you would enlarge my territory. He says that your hand would be with me. Note that, that your hand would be with me. If you turn to Deuteronomy 23... We find the blessing of the tribe of Judah pronounced by the man of God, Moses. Deuteronomy, uh, it's 33, I may have misspoke that. Deuteronomy chapter 33, Moses said this, and this he said of Judah, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah. See that fulfilled, don't we? This man who was of the tribe of Judah. Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah. And bring him to his people. (laughs) Let his hands be sufficient for him. And may you be a help against his enemies. Well Moses had put a blessing on the tribe of Judah. That God would hear their prayers. And that he would bless them. And that his hand would be sufficient. But you know Jabez. He's not contradicting Moses. But Jabez realized that the strength of his own hand was not sufficient. And so when he prays, he said, that your hand would be with me. He's not saying, Lord, I know that you've given me the ability to do this. And if I just use my free will, I'll be able to accomplish this. Didn't do that, did he? He recognized he was a sinner. His strength came from the Lord. God had given him promises, but it's the Lord's hand that makes the difference. The reason why the Great Commission has been so long getting fulfilled is because Christians fail to recognize that the work is the Lord's. It's His hand that makes the difference. We need to learn to pray and we need to learn to, to trust the Lord fully for all of His blessings. Uh, Matthew Henry made the statement that uh, the way to be truly great is to be truly good and to pray much, he said, commenting on this. He also said, he said, we can but wish a blessing. He, God, commands it. Those whom he blesses are blessed indeed. And so he says, Lord, help me. Your hand has to, if your hand is with me, I can obey you, I can do what you want if you'll help me. And that you would keep me from evil. Note that, that you'd keep me from evil, both personally, internally, and externally. And that, that word evil there is sometimes used of personal sin, sometimes it's used of disaster. You know, shall there be evil in the city and the Lord has not done it? Well, that means there will be disaster in the city and the Lord has not done it. God's sovereign over those things. But if he says that you'll keep me from evil, where have we come across that prayer? 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As the old King James has it, deliver us from evil. And so Jabez is praying the same thing. Our Lord himself inspired this prayer, I believe, in the heart of Jabez. And he taught us to pray in a similar way. That you would keep me from evil. And that I may not cause pain. Or that in reference to me there be no pain. Either cause it, because he didn't want to cause any pain. And he didn't want to experience the, the difficulties that come about through disobedience. He knew, as Job had said, and I quoted last week, a man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. So he wasn't saying that I never have any problems. Jabez died one day. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Jabez will be raised up when the Lord returns, I believe. Um, quite clearly, you know, there will be a resurrection of, of all who have lived when the Lord returns. And so he wasn't saying, Lord, that nothing bad ever happens to me, ever. But he's saying that, that in reference to me, there be no pain. The sorrow that my mother referenced, that that wouldn't be the, the mark of my life. And then we're told, God granted him what he requested. Now, why did God not allow sorrow, of the nature of his prayer, to come to Jabez? Quite simply, because Jabez prays a prayer... He makes a vow, a partial vow, based on God's promise. And there was another man who came into this world, as you know, and we read of him in Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. We're told of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In verse 4 we're told, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, if we were to answer Jabez, we'd have to say, you know, Jabez, you'll not be a man of sorrows. For one of your kinsmen, someone who's going to come from the tribe of Judah, one of your kinsmen, Redeemer, who will be known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, he himself is going to bear away in his own pains upon a cross all your sins and with them your curse and all your pains and sorrows. And you in him, who is really the ultimate fulfillment of that promise to Abraham, that in his seed all the nations will be blessed, and you in him shall be blessed indeed. God knew his covenant. Sometimes we're not sure. We're not like Issachar. We don't always understand the times and what Israel needs to do. God always does. And that's why when Jabez called out. He didn't gather the elders of Israel together and say, what should we do? Or I really need your, your help. Could have done that. Might have done that later. But so he called on the God of Israel. He called on the God who keeps covenant with his people. And that covenant that God keeps with us is the one that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit made in eternity to redeem a people unto himself. Jabez understood that. He understood who he was. He knew he was part of God's covenant people. He understood what God had told them to do. So he prayed accordingly. And so the application is for us to understand the Great Commission and what Christ has intended for his church 
and how we are to be faithful in our homes and in our vocations and in our communities. That we are to speak to others about Christ. We are to call men and women and children to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that they might be saved. We are to speak out against the powers of darkness. We are to be active in our culture. You know, I, I have a friend who told me that he would not serve communion to anyone that told him they had voted for Barack Obama. And because he said he's a he's pro-abortionist. He said Christians shouldn't be voting for people who are going to get people killed. Last week, now I, I realized somebody said, oh, you're not supposed to talk about politics. I can talk about anything that's in the Bible, and politics is in the Bible. Last week, every Democratic senator in Washington voted to keep abortion legal up until the very birth of a child. A woman who's going to give birth uh, on a Tuesday can go to a doctor on a Monday before and have her baby killed. And they voted to make that legal. Now, uh, this is the, the, the culture that we live in. You know, I was thinking, well, I, you know, I don't know about telling somebody you won't give them communion because of who they voted for, but I'm getting... I'm, of the mind to begin to think that maybe we need to tell people if you don't vote you can't have communion in this church. If you're just going to sit back and let our culture go to Hades in a handbasket as they say, maybe you don't need to be coming and having communion. Now by the way, we're not going to excommunicate someone that doesn't vote. Okay, I'm just simply trying to emphasize the importance. You're not called to pick up a sword and a shield and a spear and put on a helmet and a breastplate physically. And go kill people that, that, that don't agree with the Bible. You're not told to do that. And somebody tells you that's what you should be doing. They're wrong. Okay, Unless you're part of the military or you're called to serve as a police officer. They do have a responsibility to restrain evildoers. You do have the right of self-defense. Okay, we, we understand that. But you are called to put on spiritual armor and to be active in your culture. And you do need to be out there voting. How do these wicked people get into political office? Now I'm going to say that. I'm not trying to be, you know inflammatory when I say this but the reason why so many of these people get into office and stay in office when we have a huge majority of Christians in this country is because of the ignorance and stupidity of God's people and I don't want you to be in that category and so you need to be informed you need to be intelligent we're not like we're going to bring about the kingdom of God through the ballot box I don't believe that and neither do you but you do need to be responsible in speaking up. And if you haven't been voting, then you need to get registered and you need to start voting. If you know candidates that are pro-life and that are pro-family, traditional family, you need to support them. You need to be praying for them first and foremost. We're told about Jabez, it says, And God granted him what he requested. Do you think Jabez just sat at home waiting and then finally one day somebody came in and said, Jabez, God's enlarged your territory. He's kept you from evil. You haven't caused anyone pain. You know, uh, He's really blessed you. You think Jabez just sat back and did nothing after he prayed this? The reason why the writer of First Chronicles could say God granted him what he requested is because Jabez went out and took over the, the territory. He pushed the enemy out. He did what God told him to do. He relied on the Lord. He prayed first, but he fought. He didn't just sit back and say, well, I've prayed. I don't need to do anything else. God answered his prayer. The writer of Chronicles, the inspired by the Holy Spirit, can tell us God granted him what he requested because Jabez acted upon the promise of God 
He prayed according to the promise of God, which is exactly what we need to be doing. But then he acted accordingly. He acted according to God's promise and Jabez's prayer. Jabez's prayer is a believing prayer. Remember when Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you have? Well, it's a condition upon praying according to God's will. But Jabez was able to do this because he prayed. He knew he prayed according to the will of God. And so he was able to say, you know, I've asked God for this. It's going to happen. And so he went out and did what he'd asked God to accomplish. God's hand was with him. Jabez said, you know, I'm not moving until I know for sure God's hand is with me. Now, by the way, he could have said that before he prayed. He said, I, we need to make sure the Lord's with us in this. But he prayed. He prayed according to God's promise, so he knew this is what God had said he's going to do. If you pray according to what God has said he wants for you, or for his church, or his purpose in history, you can be assured he's going to hear your prayer. And you can act accordingly. That's what you need to be doing in regard to our culture, in regard to our families, in regard to your individual personal life. So when you pray according to the will of God, you can have confidence. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. If blessing you will bless me and enlarge my territory. How does that apply for the church, for us? That that the word of God would go forth, that men and women and children would be saved. That they'd come to know Jesus and live according to his word. That your hand would be with me. Jesus said, I am with you always. Always until the end of the age. That means till the end of time. Or the end of this present age, okay, as we, we call it. That you would be with Jesus already told us, I'm with you. I am with you. That you would be with me. And that you would keep me from evil. The reason why Jesus taught us to pray and keep us from evil or deliver us from the evil one is because that's God's purpose. He wants to keep you from evil. He's going to, but he teaches us to pray. As James says, sometimes you have not because you ask not. He says, and that I may not cause pain, but in reference to me there be no pain. Don't let me be one who keeps your purpose from going forward in my own generation. And if you're here alive today, you're part of God's plan for this generation, and you need to be praying and acting accordingly. And doing the will of God with joy in your heart because you are in covenant with God through the man of sorrows, our Lord Jesus Christ, who took away our sins, died for us, and rose again, and is coming again in glory to judge this world. May God give us grace to serve him faithfully in our generation, and may we remember and learn and pray even as Jabez prayed, according to the will of God with faith, trusting in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that it's true. We ask you to give us wisdom and grace so that we would know how we ought to pray and that we would pray according to your word and your promise. And we ask you, Lord, to keep us and those good things you have for us. We pray that you would bring them about, that we would honor you and love you and serve you faithfully in this generation. Forgive us our sins, Lord, we pray, and keep us in your love and grace. For we ask this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.